Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, we are set to get into the book of Ephesians today in our New Testament overview. And we did a whole season on this back. It was what, like season four. Season I think, four. If you want to go back and we're going to do the overview today. Yes. But if you want to walk through uh, the scenic route as we uh, work through the whole letter, uh, you can go back and check out those episodes we did on Ephesians. It's such a great letter from Paul if you're just wanting to kind of get the big picture of what it looks like to walk as a Christian and the kinds of things that are required of a Christian. First looking at what God has done for us in chapters 1 through 3, and then looking at the way we ought to live in chapters 4 through 6. It's a pretty simple breakdown, simple outline of the book. It, it, to me, is one of the more beautiful letters that Paul writes. Very practical, like Stephen said. But Paul is also doing a really good job at kind of peeling back the curtain and helping us have a look into what God has done for us and looking at things from God's end. What, what does it mean to be his children? What did it take in order for us to become adopted as children to him? What did it take to reconcile Jews and Gentiles? And looking at things from God's end of things really helps us appreciate the position that we are in as his children. And so this is a beautiful letter where Paul accomplishes that. Yes. So um, some background information. Uh, if you want to go read about Paul's time in Ephesus, he actually spends more time in the city of Ephesus than he does in any other city that we know of. You can go read about that in Acts chapter 19, although there's some background information with Apollos and the end of Acts 18. And it's interesting to see that the Christians in Ephesus, we actually know a good bit about some things that happened in the church there, but they don't really, most of the details that we have about the city of Ephesus don't come from the letter to the Ephesians, which is kind of funny. You can actually learn more about some of the issues going on in the church there if you go read the letter from Paul to Timothy, for mm-hmm. First Timothy, because Paul had left Timothy at Ephesus. And so some of the things that Paul's having Timothy address in the church there, you can go see that there. And there was some false teaching going on and having to do different things. The other place you can go is the book of Revelation, actually. And there's a letter that Jesus sends to the angel of the church at Ephesus. And there's some similar things going on there. It's very interesting to see that they're still having to fight false teaching. But the thing he mainly has against them is they left their first love. Right. And so it's really interesting sometimes to kind of piece together the snapshots that we have of the Christians in Ephesus. But there's not a lot of specific details in the letter of the Ephesians. It's a very general letter. And um, it may have, in fact, been sent to Ephesus first, and then it may have been kind of like circulated around different churches. Yeah, so it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, and we see evidence of that in some of the other letters that Paul's written as well. Um, Ephesians is unique, uh, kind of in the intro. Uh, in Ephesians 1 and verse 1, Paul says, An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's kind of all by way of introduction that Paul is going to give to this church. There 
are not very many personal notes given about the church in Ephesus here, like Stephen talked about. You can see those personal things in other letters that have been written. But Paul kind of gets straight to business. And one of the things he first points out, like he does in the other epistles, is that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He is not sent by the agency of man, like he points out in Galatians. But this is by the will of God that he was sent out by Jesus. And as is typical as Paul, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Grace is what leads to the peace that we receive with God our Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that really was going to be explored more in the beginning of this letter. That's right. So chapter 1 really 1 through 14, you know, the introduction, but Paul just launches into a beautiful section, kind of just listing the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Yeah. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so he walks through, he's chosen us, uh, we've been adopted as sons, um, we have redemption, verse 7, forgiveness, the grace. Um, and so, again, you can just kind of break down this section looking at how blessed we are. But what's interesting to me about this is a lot of times when we pray our prayers, we're always thanking God for our physical blessings. You know, like, thank you for the food that you give us, you know, the place to live, health, safe travels. Pretty much all the things that Paul is just pouring out praise to God for here are not material, like touch, touch them, see them blessings, but they are spiritual blessings. And we need to think more about that. Mm-hmm. And so this is a really helpful opening section just to get our minds focused on God's things and not just the things that we can touch and see, but thinking about how much God has done for us in Christ on a spiritual level. Yeah, and so Paul, uh, he wants us to start off by being overwhelmed at how much God has done for us. Um, Like Stephen pointed out, one of my favorite things in this section is that we have been adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to God according to the kind intention of his will in verse 5. We've been adopted. We were cut off from God because of sin, but God through Jesus Christ has adopted us and brought us into the family uh, to be his children. Yeah, and so as... We, we see what God has done. There's kind of this prayer that Paul offers at the end of chapter 1. And again, we talked a little bit about this in our the episode on the Thessalonian letters. Um, that Paul, it's cool that he records his prayers. <laughs> and yeah. in this prayer, he's mainly praying for the eyes of their heart to be opened. And that's kind of a cool image to think about. Like, I want your heart to see what God has done for you. And there's three things in particular in verses 18 and 19. He wants you them to see the hope to which God has called them, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his immeasurable power that's working in believers. And again, not things that you can see, but he's like, if you could just catch a glimpse of the greatness of the hope ahead of you, and the inheritance part is kind of interesting. We won't go on a whole tangent here, but the inheritance seems to be that Christians, we are God's inheritance. That's kind of cool because, like, there is a sense in which we have an inheritance waiting for us. Like First Peter kind of talks about that. But here in Ephesians, what does God get out of this whole deal? You know, 
he gets us. We are his inheritance. That's an amazing thing to think about, that God wants us like that. And then the rest of chapter 1 kind of focuses on the third one of look at God's power that he can exhibit, and he uses the resurrection of Jesus as the example of that power, that he raised him up, has seated him in the heavenly places, and he now reigns yes. over over everything. He, King Jesus is Lord of everything because God raised him with that power. Yes, and so chapter 122, he put all things in subjection under his, that's Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And that is really going to be important for us to understand in the application section when Paul is going to talk about how we then submit to one another in the fear of Christ. And so uh, we'll talk more about that when we get over to chapter 5. Mm-hmm. So now there's a, a bit of a shift here in chapter 2, but it was a natural thing to lead into. Because God has done all this for us and he's given us all these blessings in Christ and we've been overwhelmed by them, well, how does that impact us? Well, in chapter 2, he begins by talking about how this new life impacts us each individually, and he starts by giving us the bad news. Uh, sometimes we don't appreciate good news, until we first know what the bad news is. Go see the letter to the Romans. Yeah, exactly. And so in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul tells them that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. They were they walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And so just thinking about how bad off we were without Jesus Christ. But verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Even though we were in that dark, deep pit of sin and despair, and we were lost. God still sent forth his son Jesus to rescue us out of that and to forgive us of our sins. And that is grace. That's what Paul is trying to emphasize. God was gracious toward us, and that is what saved us, not any works that we came up with, but purely by the grace of God and by the grace of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's so cool to me to run across paragraphs like this that just kind of summarize, like, well, that's kind of the whole picture, you know? And of course, it's not every detail of every nuance but ephesians 2 1 through 10 is just one way to like sit down and just read with somebody like here's what god does with people he takes dead people and he makes them alive again and like he's his whole business is resurrection yes (laughs) which is really cool actually to see the prayer in chapter one the things that god did for jesus he kind of does for christians amen in chapter two it's very interesting to see the parallels there but he lays out, again, trying to get us to realize, do you realize what God's done for you? Because, again, he's writing to Christians. But sometimes even after we become a Christian, we need regular reminders of our story, where we came from. Don't forget where you came from and what God's done for you because that helps shape the path forward. And so Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is kind of this resurrection individually, what God has done for each Christian. But then Paul shifts gears a little bit in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through the end of the chapter. 
And he focuses on almost like a, a group resurrection, uh, a, a new life that God gives us as a Christian community. And he focuses in particularly on the Jews and Gentiles in this section, mm-hmm. because that was something that would have been going on in Ephesus and in lots of churches in the time that Paul was writing. But if you take out Jews and Gentiles and just insert kind of any two groups, this is a powerful section to talk about what Jesus does with a group of humans who are divided and have their own cultures and have their own, you know, tendencies. And he says, listen, like, Jesus has come in and torn down the, the walls. He has broken down the separations between us and made us one body in Christ. And that's this other part of Christianity that's so important not to miss is that Christianity is not just a solo gig where you go out and do your thing and serve God and that's cool. That, that's part of it, you know, the first half of Ephesians 2. But the last half is like you got to get with other Christians yeah, and you got to right. figure out how to work it out. And there's going to be more on this later in the letter. But the emphasis here is on look at what God has done in taking two people groups that are so opposed to each other and making them one in Christ. And it makes sense because Paul started with the idea of adoption in chapter 1. And so if we've all been adopted by God and become his children, that makes us a family. And so that really, we're a family, but we're also a kingdom. And that really sets up well in chapter 219. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you were fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You were built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You're supposed to be connected with other Christians. And you're not just a, that's not just a, a, a facade or some kind of just fake thing. You are really supposed to be one with other Christians. It's not just that you all come into the same building and sing together and then leave, but you are truly functioning as one organism, as, as one group for Jesus Christ. And so we have to stop and ask ourselves, do I feel that connected to other Christians? Am I connected with other Christians? If not, you need to find other Christians to join yourself together with, to work with, to worship God with, and uh, that that's God's will for us. We can't ignore that. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a hermit disciple, I heard a friend of mine <laughs> say one time. Yeah, that's a good way to, to put that. I don't know why I'm picturing Yoda right now, but that's good. Yeah, of... <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so in chapter 3, Paul, he, the letter to the Ephesians, after he just finished this thing about Jews and Gentiles, he he's really focusing in on the Gentiles in this letter. And he's saying, hey, guys, like I, I want you to know how much I care about you in particular. That uh, in the book of Acts, you know, you see the background of the gospel going first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And one of the purposes I think that he's got in the letter to the Ephesians is to write particularly to the Gentiles and say, like, hey, listen, like, I'm I want to make sure that you do not feel like second-class citizens in this kingdom, that you are all one. You've all been adopted into the same family. The walls have been torn down. You're not on the outside. You're on the inside. And so chapter 3, Paul kind of zooms out a little bit and writes to them about his mission as an apostle. 
and in particular that he wants to bring that to the Gentiles. Um, and Paul talks about that in some of his other letters uh, that like that was why he did the journeys that he did and went to the extent that he went to. He's like he wants the non-Jewish people who have been on the outside to realize just how on the inside they've been brought by Jesus. And the Jews as well. They're on equal ground now, equal footing with each other. And so he uh, walks through chapter 3 talking about how God gave him this mystery, uh, which when we use that word mystery, we usually uh, think of it as an idea like, oh, we don't understand it. We don't know it. But mystery, almost every time it's used in the New Testament, is talking about something that was hidden but now it's not. It's an open secret now. Like you can see it, and that's the thing. Is like, hey, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. You guys are part of the same body. Like they didn't see that in the Old Testament to the same extent, but now in Christ, it's an open secret. Like check it out. And so he closes chapter three with this beautiful prayer um, that God would work in them, that His Spirit would dwell in them, and that they might have the strength to comprehend the love of Christ, which blows our minds. It's beyond comprehension, the height and length and breadth and depth. Uh, and so he wants these Gentiles, in particular Gentile Christians, to see, like, look, that God is working in you. This is why I'm working so hard and suffering like I am, because I want you guys to be unified in Christ. Yeah. And it's just, I sometimes feel like, Paul, how awesome is it that God uses us to convey this message to other people? Like, I hope everyone is overwhelmed by that, that God uses just ordinary people, weird people like me and Stephen, you know, and just others, to convey this beautiful message of salvation to the world. God works through our imperfections to preach his perfection. That's beautiful. And that's God's whole work is using people like us. And so I hope everyone feels the same sense of all that Paul feels and takes a second to pray about and say just how great it is that God uses us. And I hope that humbles us as well. And we don't get into the thinking that we're all that in a bag of chips when we go out and preach and teach. No, you're not. You're just preaching the message that God already gave and that God did and that God sent forth. So just let that put you in your place. You didn't come up with any of this. God is choosing to use us to take this message out to other people. May that humble us the way that it should. Yeah, amen. So Ephesians 4 is kind of the the hinge that the book turns on. It's, yeah. the, it's a turning point. And Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so at this verse he's really kind of been talking about the calling. Like, look at what God has done for you, the, the standards to which he's called you to live. And now, because of that calling, walk worthy of that calling. So chapters 4 through 6 are going to focus in on the practical application, the, the walk. How day to day should I be taking steps in the direction of Christ? And so 1 through 3 Chapters 1 through 3 are kind of this, more the concepts behind what God has done for us and the big picture things spiritually. Chapters 4 through 6 is like, oh, okay, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's focus on the very practical application of these con concepts in, in Christ. And so the first section of chapter 4 focuses in on particularly the, the unity and the working together 
that has to happen within the body of Christ among Christians because it's not easy when you get a bunch of different kinds of people together and he's saying all right the first thing you guys need is humility and these qualities of patience and bearing with one another <laughs> if you don't have these qualities you're never going to be unified right but it starts with our hearts it starts with our attitude because if we come in with our own pride and wanting our own way the rest of it's going to fall apart but you have to check your pride at the door if you're going to be a unified body in Christ. Yeah, and so then he points out the grace that God gives to help attain this unity. Um, and he'll make that a little bit more clear. That that's his whole point in verse 15 and 16. But he says in verse uh, 10, He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So now Paul is getting into the, the gifts that God or, or Jesus has given so that the church can attain that unity that he talks about in verse 13. Mm -hmm. And those gifts are apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And uh, as we went through the book of Acts, it was kind of cool to see the different roles of each of those. And so if you're interested in seeing what those different roles were, you can just read through the book of Acts, and I think every one of those will pop up at some point in that book. But all of them had the same purpose of helping grow the church um, in the work of service so that the body of Christ would be built up. And in that, you will see unity. And God gave those men and those people uh, in order to achieve that. Yeah. This section of Ephesians was one of the ones that just kind of gripped me when I first kind of really heard it broken down to see the kind of things that God put in place so that his people are built up. The gifts that he's given, that we all have the same goal but we have different kinds of roles, different gifts. And I love the descriptions in this section about how we all are trying to grow up into Christ, look more like him. And so, again, this is just like one of those Ephesians. I've heard it described sometimes like the Grand Canyon of the New Testament. It's just like this amazing overview where you're looking down into like what God's done and just see the whole flow of things. It's really cool. But after he talks about this unity in the body of Christ, he pivots in the rest of chapter 4 and really into the first half of chapter 5 into, again, a very practical kind of, all right, here's how to live your daily life kind of a section. And one of the main things he'll talk about here is in verse uh, 22, Ephesians 4.22, uh, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt, is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, mm -hmm. created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. One of the things that sometimes people, one of the misconceptions people have about Christianity is that it's all about the no-nos. It's all about, like, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't... And that's, that is part of it. But this section of Ephesians really helps us to see that Christianity is as much about what you are putting on 
than what you are putting off. And so it's powerful to see as he walks through, he's going to talk about very, some real specific things, like chapter, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, that's the put off, let, a, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Put on, right? For we are members one of another. And he'll just kind of go through different topics and kind of walk down through, like put this thing off, but replace it with this good thing. Don't steal anymore. Instead, work with your hands what's good, you know, and then you'll have something to share with people. And so it's just kind of cool to see, again, the big picture concept of it's not just about what you're not doing. It's about what you are doing in Christ. Yeah, amen. And so uh, in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. A lot of these things that Paul is listing here at the end of chapter 4 will directly impact that local congregation. They all need to think about what they're saying before they say it and instead think of a way to encourage one another uh, in verse 29. And so all of these things will directly impact their, their individual walk, but also their, their united walk together uh, in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And it really carries over into chapter 5, doesn't it, Stephen? Yeah. And in chapter 5, he'll list some other things that they need to put off, put on. And one of the, the things that he'll use as an analogy in chapter 5 is light. Yeah. You guys need to be lights in the world. Expose things that are wicked and shine by doing things that are good and right. And he again, just talks practically about how to do that. In verse uh, 15 and 16, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Um, you know, we're walking in the midst of darkness. We're walking in difficult, evil days. That was true then. That's still true now. But shine the light. Be someone who's trying to show people something better. There's a better way to be a human. There's a better way to live than the way that the world around us is showing us. Yeah, and so that world we live in lives in the darkness. But as we walk in the light, we're going to be very different from the rest of the world because they're in so much darkness. And so that really leads into chapter 522, kind of as a new section, because one of the ways that we're going to stick out the most as lights in the world is in the way that we submit to one another. And as a Christian, there are a lot of different people and a lot of different situations in which we need to submit to. And that's uh, something Paul had said in the previous section in 521, therefore be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so he will go through different scenarios in which there should be submission. And the first one that he gets into is in the husband and wife relationship, which is really a kind of shadow of what the reality of Christ and the church looks like. And so he contrasts those two ideas in the rest of chapter 5. And so Mm -hmm. verse 22 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Uh, And then verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see this back and forth nature that the husband and wife should have in the in the submission that the wife is is giving to the husband 
the husband in turn is loving her and treating her the way that he should. There are two roles and two ends of this that need to be happening. And when one steps out of their bounds and is doing the other, it all falls apart. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so helpful to see what biblical headship is supposed to look like in this section because these sections come under fire sometimes because we don't like our culture doesn't like the idea of submission really at all um but especially in gender roles but to see that being the head in any of these relationships is not about getting your way right it's not about serving yourself it's about serving those that are entrusted to your care and if that's the kind of headship that's actually being carried out it makes submission a whole different ballgame. And I love the way that Paul walks through this section and is showing the spiritual principles behind these just everyday interactions in our families. I mean, this section gets very personal. Mm -hmm. Um, He's talking about husbands and wives, and it goes right into chapter 6, parents and children, servants and masters. All of these relationships are to be a reflection of our relationship to Jesus. And Sometimes we're like, okay, like, I'm cool with the, like the church parts of Ephesians. You know, like go to church, you know, like do the apostles and prophets or you know evangelist thing, whatever. You know, have my gifts I can use, but like stay out of my house, man. And it's like, no, like the gospel marches right into our life and changes everything about who we are and how we live and serve other people. And so I think it's really cool to see the, the parallels here as he talks about the relationship within a marriage, as he talks about the relationship of parents and children. Uh, the relationship of servants and masters, as those ex- relationships existed in the first century. But all of them are ways that we can be living the gospel in our life and showing people, again, a light in the darkness, that there's a better way to live. Yeah, and so, uh, as Stephen said, it leads into the parent relationship with their children. It leads into slaves and masters in chapter 6. But Paul, he gets to the end of this letter by really a call to war uh, in chapter 6 verse 10 finally be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might put on the full armor of god so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil our struggles not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Paul, as he has peeled back the curtain of everything that God has done for us in the front half of the book, is also peeling back the curtain and pointing out to us that there are a lot of evil forces out there against us as Christians. And I love that Paul doesn't sugarcoat that. We, we see that every day as we are tempted to choose to do what's wrong. And as there are different hard things that we go through in our life, It is clear that there are evil things out there that want us and want to take us captive. But Paul is ending this letter by saying, Do not worry, because there is armor that God gives the Christian so that they can fight this spiritual war. You're on the right side of this battle. If you're you're in this battle and you're a Christian, you have victory at your fingertips if you will only gird up your loins and put on the armor that God wants you to have. And so uh, Paul will go on to describe what all of those different armor pieces look like in verses 14 through uh, 18. Mm-hmm. It was a spiritual warfare. That's something really important to note is that in the Old Testament, there was physical warfare, but we're not called to literally take up arms against people. Our sword is the word of God. 
Our shield is faith. Our breastplate is righteousness. Our helmet is salvation. These are spiritual pieces of armor for spiritual battle. And so Paul comes to the end of this letter realizing this isn't going to be easy to apply this. Satan is after us. He's trying to get us uh, off of the path of walking worthy. And so take up all of the equipment that God's given you to be able to honor God and to stand firm. And the last thing he mentions is prayer, how yeah. important of a, of a role that plays. Jesus said, watch and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. Mm-hmm. I've heard it said that if there's kind of six pieces of spiritual armor, the seventh piece is the stance of the soldier, and that is prayer. And so he, he wraps up asking for prayers that he would be bold and make things clear in the way that he speaks. And then he wraps up a very brief conclusion. Again, not a lot of personal greetings in this letter. Um, but uh, he says, I want to come and see you. Um, there's a, another brother named Tychicus uh, who's going to fill them in on some more personal details. And then he gives them grace and peace at the end of the letter, like at the beginning. And so that's the letter to the Ephesians. And so many good things in this letter, overview of what God has done in Christ. And hopefully we come away from a letter like this thanking God, Mm -hmm. being grateful for what he's done, and come away motivated to live today. All right, I've got some things I need to work on, some very practical things uh, with the way that I talk, the way that I treat my family, the way that I reach out to others. Um, Ephesians equips us uh, to do and be, to to live a worthy walk uh, before God. Yep. Amen. Well, Lord willing, next week we're going to get into Colossians and Philemon. Uh, Colossians actually has a lot of similar ideas to the book of Ephesians, but we paired Philemon for uh, with it because it looks like they were written at the same exact time and delivered at the same exact time, and we'll talk more about that next week. So, Lord willing, we'll look at those two letters. Yeah. If you guys are enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a review so we can reach more people. Um, If you're interested in studying the Bible online or in person, uh, whether locally or you're somewhere else, please reach out to us, 717-585-0949. Email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information on group studies and worship, check out capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.